grateful to be part of a church that worships through music and worships um, in very visible ways in the giving, uh, both of of our tithes and offerings and also of ourselves in ministry and reflection of love for the Lord. Uh, We also give some of our staff time away for various things. Monica is away this Sunday and uh, so thankful for Grace's leadership in our children's time. Chris is Our youth pastor is off with our youth, uh, many of them at least, uh, off providing and leading some worship at Poline Church near Sacramento, where uh, it's our partner church and our Feeding Those Who Feed Us ministry. And uh, so uh, be in prayer for them uh, as they continue this day. Uh, You might have heard some other news this week that uh, there was a power outage. Did you hear about that? (laughs) Of course you did. we're told by most estimates that around 800,000 PG&E customers in the Bay Area were without power. Uh, that translates to about 2.5 million individuals, roughly, when you take into consideration apartments and uh, those who live uh, in places like that. It, we were reminded, certainly, of the importance of electrical power, weren't we, um, and what power provides. And if you've been without power for any period of time, whether this week or another time, uh, you know how wonderful it is to have refrigeration, right, and uh, light in your homes or at the intersections when the stoplights are working properly or to have a computer or charging uh, ways for your electronics or even the capacity to do laundry. It was a tangible reminder for many of us of the importance of electrical power for our daily lives. And the idea of power is something I want to think about for a moment uh, this morning, because power is also understood in in other contexts, things like education and uh, for social enhancement. You've heard the expression and the statement that knowledge is power, uh, coined a phrase by Francis Bacon back around 1600, used frequently by Thomas Jefferson. I grew up with public service announcements by NBC uh, about little uh, educational vignettes of things, and at the end of it, it had the shooting star, and uh, the tagline said, the more you know. And it was all about knowledge giving you power along the way. We know that education opens up opportunities and prepares us for work. Uh, Education can certainly change the trajectory of one's life. At the funeral yesterday for Edward Green, Ida, uh, you know, Ida Tynes, Ida Green, her husband, Ida, served here uh, for a lot of years as our executive assistant and uh, well-loved here in this church. Her husband of several years died, um, and his funeral was yesterday. And one of the speakers was talking about his role, having grown up in Marin City, and his role today about helping high school graduates enter into uh, higher education and how important that is in the ability to change the trajectory of their lives. So we know that, that knowledge in many ways and in many different contexts really can be powerful, and it leads to powerful things in our lives. And I, I think that the Bible writers would agree with that statement, that knowledge is power, but I think they would mean something a little different by it. I think they would say, absolutely, knowledge is power, but not in the ways I've just described, because spiritually, we know that knowledge is power, but it's not about education per se, or about the amount of information I can put in my brain, the the number of things I can recite about God, or the eloquence of theological doctrine, as important as those things are, not diminishing that. But when the Bible talks about knowledge, primarily it's talking about not what I know, 
but who I know. And it's about knowing and having a knowledge of the person Jesus himself. It's about who we know. The Apostle Paul would say it this way, that I want to know a lot of theological doctrine. That's not what he says. That I want to know a lot of Bible verses. That's not what he says. Although he would agree that those things are good. He says to the Philippians that I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. You see, in the Bible, when it talks about power and knowledge, it's talking about knowing Jesus leading to the power of God to change your life. The power of God to change your heart. The power of God to change your perspective. The power of God to bring you into a right relationship with God. Something that you and I and everyone on the planet is utterly powerless to do on our own. Knowledge is power and knowing Jesus puts us in that relationship that allows the power of God to be on display in your life and mine. At Edward Green's funeral yesterday, one of the uh, people uh, eulogizing him remembered his younger years and uh, some of the ways that he was living his life and how uh, as a young boy he was introduced to Jesus, but it was only at the age of 50, at 50 years old, that he came into a really deep and personal encounter with the person of Jesus. And I heard that. As, as a way of saying he knew a lot of things about Jesus, knew some things about the Bible and about the church, but didn't personally yet know him. And that makes all the difference. And that's what the Apostle Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, open them there to Philippians chapter 3. And it always helps to have a little context as we dive into our few verses here. Uh, there were some people... Uh, in the church that met in Philippi, the city of Philippi, who uh, people were coming into that church and they were trying to tell people and to convince them that if they are going to be really faithful to God, that they first must practice all of the Jewish customs and and walk in uh, all obedience to the Jewish way of life, or else they couldn't be a part or, or with God and all that God wanted. And Paul was trying to undercut that and to say that is absolutely not what is true and what is needed for your spiritual life. Uh, today we might hear similar thoughts in our world today that if, if you have Jesus plus something, what these people were saying is, is if, if Jesus is true, then you also need circumcision to identify you with the past promises of God. And Paul said, absolutely not. It's not ever Jesus and something will make you right with God. Today you might hear uh, different people talking about things like if you, if you have Jesus and your, your good activity, if you have Jesus and your, your generosity to the poor or into the ministry of a church, then you'll be right with God. No, no, if you have Jesus and being nice to other people, then you know you've really made it. No, no, that's not what the Bible says. It's about Jesus and resting solely in the completed work of Jesus and His cross and His resurrection that's why Paul says that compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus, everything else in my life I consider only worthy to be thrown in the garbage can. Not that they're not good. Grace did such a great job. And I'm going to see what I can add to her sermon she's already given because it was so beautiful and so right on. But here's what Paul says. With that as our background, 
in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. It says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Listen, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Living God, may you today guide us, guide my preaching, guide our hearing. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would lead, that you would teach, that you would make us responsive and attentive to you, not just my words, but to your word. Holy Spirit, would you move in our hearts and help us to respond obediently and joyfully to your loving, gentle, guiding hand in our lives now. We pray it in Jesus' name together. Amen. Amen. Compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You see, the knowledge, the idea of knowing Jesus wasn't about knowing uh, all the names of, of Jesus or knowing all the Hebrew terms that God expressed himself as great as those can be. It wasn't about information. It was about a person. It was about knowing the person of Jesus and knowing him for yourself. It's about knowing and knowledge. It's about that Old Testament idea. Uh, it's about a personal response of faith that's in obedience to God's self-revelation. Knowledge is really power. So to know Jesus ushers you into the power of God and God's power provides. In this passage, we learn a couple of things that God's power, knowing Jesus, provides power to change a heart. It changes a perspective. How, how you view life becomes different. It certainly was... For Paul, Paul had an impressive brag wall. You know what a brag wall is? I, if you don't, I didn't either until a few years ago. A friend of mine says uh, he had received something, a little certificate, and he said, this is going to go on my brag wall. I said, what's a brag wall? He said, well, that's the wall in your house or your room where you, you put all the stuff to brag to people about, right? <laughs> These are all my accomplishments. And he had served in the military, and he, he had done certain things and been awarded medals and and for other things of his life, and plaques and certificates, and where he put his trophies. I mean, this was his brag wall. And Grace so well pointed out what the Apostle Paul's brag wall would have looked like. He, he trotted out, if, I, if anybody has reason to boast, Paul says, if anybody has reason spiritually to brag or be puffed up, I do, Paul says, because of my education, because of my eloquence, because of uh, my family heritage, because of all of these things. Paul, you remember, was the one entrusted he, because he was so uh, zealous for and tenacious in, in his Jewish faith because he thought that this, this little upstart movement of Christian faith, these people following Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, he said, it's got to be stamped out. And so Paul took it upon himself and he was commissioned by the religious leaders to go and, and sort out and to locate these people and to drag them out. And, and he would give approval sometimes for executions, the Bible tells us. But on that road to Damascus, 
Jesus revealed himself to Paul. And after that encounter, moving forward, growing in his understanding and getting to know Jesus more, he looked back on all of his past and all of his accomplishments. And he said, compared to knowing Jesus, all of this matters nothing. The things that that I used to think were so impressive really don't matter all that much. And the things that I used to go and spend so much energy in and and so much time trying to gather and and focus of my life, I realize compared to Jesus, it's really not that big a deal. Because Jesus has now become the eclipse of my life. He's become the center and joy of who I am. And it's all because of the knowledge of a person, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus Christ. My Lord, I look at all these other things and compared to Jesus, they're worth just throwing in the garbage heap, putting them in the dustbin, throwing them out. If you've seen the movie Elf, that Christmas movie that came out a few years ago with uh, Will Ferrell and uh, a funny make-believe movie about uh, a little orphan boy out of the orphanage. He crawls into Santa's sack and Santa takes him back to the North Pole. And there, uh, this little boy, Buddy, uh, he grows up in the North Pole. And uh, you got all, it's make-believe, of course, he's got all the elves around him. And he's just not like all of the elves. And he realizes he needs to go and find his dad. So he goes to New York City to to find out who his dad is. And uh, he's dressed as he's normally accustomed to dressing in the North Pole as an elf, and he finds himself in New York, and people think he works at this particular department store because of his dress, and uh, they send him to the department store, and there he finds his his job, and um, it's this whole little section of the store, and on his floor, and uh, they, they design the North Pole, and uh, the, his boss comes over the loudspeaker, and uh, all the, the customers hear, uh, attention ladies and gentlemen. I want you to know that on this particular day, Santa's going to be here. And his response, Elf's response, he starts jumping up and down. He's like, Santa, he's coming, he's coming. I know him, I know him. And everybody's looking at him like, you're crazy. You're, you're being way over the top ridiculous. What are you talking about? Of course, that's a fictional account. But in that moment, it was so so funny to me, and uh, if you've seen it, you probably thought so too, but he, he's looking through this lens of personal knowledge to Santa Claus for him that made all the difference when he began to talk about uh, his arrival and his coming. And in the real world, in the real spiritual world, when we talk about the person of Jesus, we're talking about the reality of personal knowledge That makes all the difference. It's about who we know. It's not about what we know primarily. It's about knowing the personal Jesus. And for Paul, that changed his perspective on life. It changed his perspective on what is important. It changed his perspective on how he would prioritize things of life. It changed his perspective in everything. So it should be for us. Because a personal knowledge of Jesus changes and deepens a sense of personal integrity. It changes the way we engage in our marriage as a husband or a wife. It changes the way we approach our work with diligence and excellence. Not because of the job, but because we follow Jesus. And we work to honor Him. 
It changes the way we look at other people and the way we're willing to forgive and to serve. You see, it changes. This personal knowledge changes a heart. And as that heart is changed, the perspective on the world changes as well. There's a second thing that Paul talks about with the power of this knowledge. Knowledge being power. Spiritual knowledge being power. And this knowledge isn't about stuff we know. It's about the person of Jesus whom we know. And it is the power to be right with God. The power to be in a good relationship with God. A power that we do not have on our own. I, I had a great relationship or a, a conversation today with um, one of the, with May Lee, one of the, the people that we're going to be baptizing uh, here very soon. And uh, we had a wonderful conversation about the joy of the gift of Jesus and His dying on a cross to take our sin and His resurrection from the dead to, to, to let us know that He really has the power to offer new life to you. And how the Bible talks about if Jesus really has not been raised from the dead, the Bible itself says that what we're doing is just pretend. It's foolishness. But because Jesus really died on a cross... And it wasn't just a martyr's death. He died there on purpose so that the thing that separates us from God, sin, can be put upon Him because we can't deal with it on our own. And because He's raised from the dead, we can trust that when He offers you new life, the new life is real because Jesus Himself has been the first one to enter into resurrected life. So the grave cannot hold you any more than it will hold Jesus. That's why at the funeral yesterday... There was a lot of rejoicing in the midst of the sadness because the, the people in that church building and in that family, they are, are overwhelmed and undergirded with a sense of hope. And even with their grief at the loss of Edward Green, there is great hope because of the promise of Jesus for Edward Green and any who die in him. And so as May Lee and I were talking, she just kept talking about how beautiful this reality and the story of what Jesus has done in us and the death on the cross and his resurrection from life, uh, from that death to provide new life for us. In Romans chapter one, the Apostle Paul writes to this church in Rome and he says similar words, but in a different way, a little bit. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. A righteousness from God from first to last, from the moment we embrace Jesus all the way in to the moment we take our last breath. And I wonder sometimes... For us, for those of us like me who have been walking with Jesus for decades, I wonder sometimes if subtly we can look back on the accomplishments of our life and we could say, man, I helped start this ministry or I've been faithful in this area for so long. I mean, if I went and tallied up all the money I've given to the church over the years, you know, isn't God proud of me? And we can begin to list out all of our things. And, and I think suddenly we can, we can be looking at, yeah, Jesus saved me and all of this. And I think for some of us, we need to be reminded that, like Paul, we, we should look at all of this stuff. We can be glad in it, of course. We can be, be so happy in the way God has worked through things. But, but this is not 
what makes us good or right with God. It is the cross of Christ and the cross alone and His resurrection from the dead that gives power to change your life, the power to change your heart, the power to change your perspective, the power to make you right with God. It's not the other stuff. From first to last, Paul writes to the Romans, you know, God's gift of new life, His righteousness, is not your paycheck for good spiritual stuff. The gift comes first, and then your life of obedience follows after. That's always the way it works. And if we get those, those two realities inverted, it messes everything up. God gives first, we receive, and then we respond with joyful obedience. We are preparing as a church six people to be baptized in the weeks to come. What a joy that is. There are others that we're beginning conversations with. God is doing a really great work among us right now. And there are lots of conversations. This preparation is is just helping lay a simple foundation of, of what life in God is like. Who Jesus is. What does it mean to really know Him? What does it mean to trust Him? What does righteousness look like or sanctification or these big theological terms, justification? What, what does it matter and, and how do we enter into this life, this now ongoing Christian life? I tell you, I hope that fills your heart with gladness because we get to share in these baptisms in the weeks to come. And I hope that you'll be praying for these who are being prepared there. Some of them are youth. Some of them are, are middle adults and older adults. It's going to be a great, great season. And we invite you to be praying. This morning, I just want to ask of you, do you remember when you began to walk with Jesus? The joy that it elicited in your heart, the, the, the knowledge, the freshness of setting aside an old pattern of behaving and, and now stepping into the newness of what Jesus is giving for you the the change that he's empowering you to make. I hope you do. And today, if if that's not been part of your reality, I I want to invite you as we sing. We're going to sing in just a moment, Steve. You can go ahead and come on up as as we're going to sing a song that talks about not being the same again. It describes in some ways what we're talking about: the power of God through Christ Jesus to change a heart to change a perspective, to make us right with God. And it is a way of describing this life change. And if today you've, you've never really accepted and embraced the beauty of who God is and what He's done in Jesus, the power of the resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings, or if those are not ideas that you've captured and, and welcomed into your life, I'd love to begin a conversation. I'm going to be standing here at the front. And if you'd like to start a conversation about what those things mean, uh, just come forward while we're singing. I'll be ready and happy to begin a conversation with you. So would you stand with us together? And we're going to sing, I Will Never Be.